Hotep, everybody. Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network and host of the African History Network show. Here is the podcast I did from Thanksgiving Day, November 22nd, 2018, dealing with the history of Thanksgiving and why Thanksgiving is a national day of mourning for African Americans and Native Americans, a.k.a. Misgiving Day. Before we get to that, I just want to let you know very quickly that our Cyber Monday promotion is going to be extended until uh, Tuesday, November 27th, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Spend $100 or more at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and get 20% off your order. Spend $100 or more at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, get 20% off your order. And this includes uh, my bundle packs and some other bundle packs. We have a few bundle packs that, that are excluded. Uh, visit AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Use promo code AHN20 off 2018. AHN20 off 2018. And we have the information right at the homepage of our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, here is our promo. And be sure to email us at customer service at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Uh, to find out how to advertise with the African History Network as well on the audio podcast of our radio show and uh, the sh- podcast we do throughout the week as well. Uh, the special promotion is get 50% off your first month. The second month is free, so you get two months for only $100. Email us at customer service at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, customer service at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, so you can uh, promote your African-American-owned business and advertise to thousands of people across the country. All right, how's everybody doing? Hotep. Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, and writer. It is uh, Thursday, November 22nd, 2018. Thanksgiving Day for some. And we are live. Hope everybody's doing well. Share this broadcast on your Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in also. So I'm back on Facebook. I was blocked for seven days for some nonsense, but I'm back. So um, I wanted to talk some about the history of uh, Thanksgiving, the real history of Thanksgiving, and deal with uh, some of the information we've been taught about Thanksgiving and deal with some of that information that we've been taught that is uh, not historically accurate, okay? And so I, I, for the title of this um, discussion, I entitled it uh, Thanksgiving, um, a National Day of Mourning for African Americans and Native Americans, okay? And uh, it's also called Misgiving Day, Misgiving Day. And uh, Misgiving Day comes from um, Dr. Ishaka Musa Barashango. Dr. Ishaka Musa Barashango, who wrote the book, um, African People and European Holidays and Mental Genocide. African People and European Holidays and Mental Genocide. And um, he has two volumes of the book. This is uh, book two. Book one looks just like this, except it has like a yellowish cover. Okay, but this is book two. So get this from your local African-American book dealer, uh, African People and European Holidays of Mental Genocide, a Mental Genocide by Dr. Ishaka Musa Barashango. And uh, he was the first one I heard that uh, 
called it Misgiving Day. He deals with this in his book also. Okay, so uh, now I'm not attacking anybody, especially African-Americans specifically, who get together with their family on this day. It's just, you know, sorry to get together with your family and you're going to eat things like this, right? But we need to understand what it is uh, that people are celebrating. We need to understand the history um, and understand the false history that has been fed to us also and understand the real history as well, okay? All right, so I may say some things that go outside the circumference of your own awareness, all right? Just because you uh, disagree with them or dislike them or never heard them before does not mean that it is not true. It just means you have to do some research to understand what I'm talking about, all right? Okay, so everybody follow us on our Facebook fan page, The African History Network, The African History Network, and uh, share this broadcast uh, as well. And those in the Detroit area, I will be at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History Friday, November 23rd, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. for the Black Friday Marketplace. The Black Friday Marketplace, free and open to the public. There'll be African American vendors there. Come circulate your dollars, spend your dollars with African American owned businesses. We'll have a vendor table there also. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com for more information. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com for more information. All right, so let's jump into this. Okay, so if we look at um, uh, some of the history that we've been taught about uh, Thanksgiving, okay? Um, history.com has a really good article. I'm gonna, we're, what we're going to do, I'm going to look at history.com. Then there was a good article from New York Times today, Everything You Learned About Thanksgiving is Wrong. And then lastly, we're going to look at the history of Thanksgiving from the Native American perspective. And it's from the Wampanoag perspective, the Wampanoag Native American tribe. And uh, that is, um, uh, that's a, a Native American tribe that made a uh, treaty with the settlers who were on the Mayflower, okay? And uh, Squanto, uh, even though he was a member of a, a Pawtucket, Pawtuxet tribe, uh, he lived amongst the Wabanog also. We'll talk about Squanto because Squanto was the Native American who taught the settlers on the um, Mayflower how to grow crops, how to grow corn, how to fish, things like this. He basically saved their lives, okay? All right, so um, Thanksgiving Day is, we know, is a, is a national uh, holiday in the United States. And um, th this year it fell on November 22nd. It celebrated the fourth um, Thursday in November. Now, in 1621, the Plymouth colonists and the Wampanoag uh, Native Americans or Indians shared an autumn harvest feast that is acknowledged today as one of the first Thanksgiving celebrations uh, in the colonies, okay? Uh, for, uh, for more than two centuries, days of Thanksgiving were celebrated by individual uh, colonies and states. Now, it wasn't until 1863, during the Civil War, um, it, it was, uh, and because of President Abraham Lincoln, he proclaimed a national uh, day of thanks to be held each November. And what he was trying to do during the Civil War, you had the um, South, Southern states, some of the Southern, southern states succeeded from the Union, a total of 11 southern, southern states succeeded from the Union. And 
this was an attempt to try to bring the union back together and have a day of thanks um, during the Civil War. Now, it was a woman, the way it became a national holiday was because you had a woman named Sarah uh, Josepha Hale. Sarah Josepha Hale. And uh, Sarah Hale went on a letter writing campaign for years, uh, writing uh, politicians and congressmen and things like this. She went on a letter writing campaign for years to get a national day of thanks. And that started because she uh, read uh, stories and writings from the early settlers there in uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts, who were on the Mayflower and uh, reading about the early uh, Thanksgiving uh, celebrations that they had, she was inspired by that. So uh, because of that, she wanted to have a National Day of Thanks. Now, many people may have never even heard of the name Sarah Josepha Hale, but they know her more so because of a nursery rhyme that she wrote called Mary Had a Little Lamb. Okay, so Sarah Josepha Hale is the woman who wrote Mary Had a Little Lamb that I don't know any adult has never heard uh, that nursery rhyme. And she was the one who went on a letter writing campaign to, ha to have a national day of thanks that was celebrated each year. Okay, all right. Okay, how's everybody doing now? You all should be, I'm trying to monitor this here on my phone. We're coming through all right. Can you see me here? Okay. All right, I'm waiting for this to catch up on my phone. Okay. All right, so let's continue here. So that's just to give you some background uh, history. All right, and I've done presentations in the past uh, dealing with this uh, also. Okay. All right. So, in September of 1620, uh, a small ship called the Mayflower left Plymouth, England. This is where it leaves from, Plymouth, England, carrying 102 passengers. An assortment of religious separatists uh, seeking a new uh, home where they could freely uh, practice their faith and other individuals lured by the promise of prosperity and land ownership in the new world, okay? Now, all of the passengers on the Mayflower were not pilgrims, or basically at the time, at that time, they really weren't called pilgrims from, from my understanding and research on this. They were basically referred to as uh, purists or puritanists, okay? But there were 100 and, 102 passengers. Only about 35 of those passengers were actually what we would call pilgrims, okay, or puritanists, all right? Others were seeking... Uh, fame and fortune. Others were indentured servants. They were merchants. They were those seeking uh, wealth, seeking fortune, things like this. There were also 26 crewmen, 26 crewmen. So there were a total of 128 people that were on the Mayflower, okay? And they leave Plymouth, England in uh, September of 1620, all right? So uh, you have uh, an assortment of religious separatists seeking a new home where they could freely practice their faith and other individuals lured by, lured by the promise of prosperity and land ownership in the new world. Now, after a treacherous and uncomfortable crossing that lasted 66 days, they dropped anchor near the tip of Cape Cod for uh, far north of their intended destination 
at the mouth of the Hudson River. Okay, so they were originally supposed to land in Virginia. Okay, this is where they, this is where they were supposed to land. Now they were financed. Um, they were given charters. They were given charters by um, King James Stuart the first. All right, this is the same King James Stuart, uh, King James uh, Stuart of England, who in 1600 commissioned his version of the Bible to be written, and it was completed in 1611. Okay, they were um, they were given a um, uh, charter. It was from the London Trading Company. Okay, the London Trading Company. If I remember, well, actually, this was uh, uh, that was the, the going back to Jamestown, Virginia, sixteen oh seven. King James Stewart the first. He gives one uh, a charter for the London Trading Company and the Plymouth Trading Company. Okay, this one right here. I think this was the Plymouth Trading Company that they had the uh, charter for. But they were originally supposed to land in Virginia, okay, but ended up not landing in Virginia, ended up landing in Massachusetts. And where they land, they called it uh, Plymouth, uh, they called it Plymouth, named after where they came from, okay. Um, also, there is a good article um, from history.com as well, dealing with the Mayflower Compact, the Mayflower Compact, because the Mayflower Compact was the contract or the agreement that the uh, settlers on the Mayflower signed that dealt with how to govern themselves. And that was uh, November of um, November of 1620, if I remember correctly, the Mayflower Compact, okay? So there's a good article from um, uh, history.com uh, that deals with this, and it's called the, uh, yeah, November 11, 1620. Uh, is called uh, Mayflower, Mayflower Compact, okay? So read that at history.com as well, okay? So um, the, they, they signed, the, uh, the Pilgrim signed a contract with the Virginia Company to settle on land near the Hudson River, okay? Uh, which was then part of Northern Virginia. They originally supposed to uh, settle in Virginia. Now, the Virginia Company was a trading company chartered by King James King James the first, yeah, so it was the uh, Virginia Company. Um, the Virginia Company was a trading company chartered by King James the first with the goal of uh, colonizing parts of the eastern coast of the world. Now, London stockholders financed the Pilgrim voyage with the understanding that they'd be repaid in profits from the new settlement. So if you go back and look, you look at Jamestown, Virginia, okay, um, and you look at King James Stewart the first. He issued charters for the uh, from the London Trading Company and the Trading, but also you have the Virginia Trading Company as well. And these were the trading companies that are going to finance these voyages. They didn't just get in the boat and sail; they were financed. Okay, and then there was a reason why they were sailing. Okay. They were supposed to plant crops and goods and sell them also. They're looking for riches, gold, silver, things like this. Okay, so when you go study the London Trading Company and the Plymouth Trading Company, okay, we're breaking up. Can you all hear me?
is standby. Okay, can y'all hear me? It's getting worse, breaking up. Let me see something here. Let me see if I can uh, restart. Well, it should clear up in a minute. Testing one, two, three, testing one, two, three. Can y'all hear me? Sounds like it's clearing up. Can you all hear me? Okay. Sounds like it's clearing up. All right. Good. Okay. Let's continue here. All right. So you have a Mayflower Compact. So study that also. Okay. And you have the, in this case, the Virginia uh, company or the Virginia Trading Company. All right. And um, now when the Mayflower landed in Massachusetts instead of Virginia, because originally they were supposed to land in Virginia. Uh, discord began before the colonists even left the ship. The strangers argued that the Virginia company contract was void. They felt since the Mayflower had landed outside of the Virginia company territory, they were no longer, no longer bound to the company's charter. The defiant strangers refused to recognize any rules since there was no official government over them. Pilgrim leader William Bradford later wrote, quote, several strangers made discontented and mutinous speeches, end quote. So the pilgrims, the, the settlers, because all of them were not pilgrims on the Mayflower, knew if something wasn't done quickly, it could be every man, woman, and family for themselves. Okay, so you have the Mayflower Compact uh, that's going to be drafted and signed uh, November 11, 1620. 41 adult male colonists, including two indentured, service, indentured servants, signed the Mayflower Compact, although it wasn't called that at the time, okay? And it's unclear who wrote the Mayflower Compact, but the well-educated separatist and Pastor William Brewster is usually given credit, okay? So that's just some background um, information for you. You can read the rest of uh, rest of this article, but a, a lot of times that's uh, information that's left out, okay? All right, so, and that's at history.com, uh, Mayflower Compact. All right, so if we go back and look at some of the basic history here. All right, so, uh, so after a treacherous and uncomfortable crossing, because they traveled 66 days to get to where they landed in Massachusetts, they dropped anchor near the tip of uh, Cape Cod, far north of their intended destination, okay? At the, okay, hold on a second, this ad's popping up. All right, hold on. Okay, far north of their intended destination. And let me get this ad out of here. I hate these damn pop-up ads. All right. So, um, so throughout the first brutal winter, most of the colonists remained on, on board the ship where they suffered from exposure, scurvy, and outbreaks of contagious diseases, okay? Now, only half of the Mayflower's original passengers and crew lived to see their first New England spring, okay? Uh, in March of 1621, the remaining settlers moved ashore 
where they received an astonishing visit from an Abenaki uh, Indian, okay? Now this is spelled, this is very interesting. This is spelled A-B-E-N-A-K-I. I had to do some research on that, Abenaki. Now I know, I've known sisters named Abina, A-B-E-N-A-K. This is Abenaki, A-B-E-N-A-K-I, okay? So where they received an astonishing visit from an Abenaki Indian who greeted them in English, in the English language. Now, several days later, uh, let's see, several days later, he returned with another Native American named Squanto, Squanto, who was a member of the Pawtucket uh, tribe who had been kidnapped by an English sea captain and sold into slavery before escaping to London and returning to his homeland on an exploratory expedition, okay? Now that's a lot of history right there. So this is Squanto, all right? And when you study Squanto, they talk about him in uh, another article as well, uh, because Squanto was, uh, he learned English. He had been kidnapped by an English sea captain. He was sold into slavery but he was sold into slavery in, in Spain, okay? He was sold into slavery in Spain. Now, this is after the Moors lose control of, of Spain. They lose control of their last stronghold, January 2nd, 1492. And the transatlantic slave trade is well underway, okay? It goes back to the 1440s, early 1440s with the Portuguese, all right? But a lot of people don't know that you had uh, Native Americans who were also being captured and taken to England and enslaved. Okay, you have you have this. You have a number of things taking place. You have Africans taken from Africa, and they're taken into the so-called New World. They're they're taken into they're brought into the U.S. What we call the U.S. because the Spanish were taking Africans into the territory we call South Carolina in the 1520s. Okay, this is about a hundred years before Jamestown, Virginia, because the Spanish were the second ones involved in the transatlantic slave trade. The Portuguese were the first. And you look at Spain and Portugal, they're right next to each other. So this is where the Moors, when they go in from Morocco in 711 AD, they go into what then was called the Iberian Peninsula, I-B-E-R-I-A-N, the Iberian Peninsula. Today is called Spain and Portugal, all right? So they're taking uh, Africans into the Spanish territories in this land, taking them in the, in the, in the South, what we call South Carolina, taking them into Florida, things like this, right? Because this, this was, that was Spanish territory. Mexico was Spanish territory also, okay? And some of the Moors are fleeing Spain. Others are being conquered and being enslaved, and they're taken into Spanish territory. Then you have Africans who are taken out of Africa, taken in this Caribbean. And see, this is, this is why understanding Christopher Columbus is so important because Columbus, um, even though he is conquering for the Spanish crown and the Spanish were the second involved in the transatlantic slave trade, he really largely lays the foundation for slavery, racism, capitalism, and exploitation of indigenous people because it's going to explode with his with the so-called discoveries on his four voyages. 
okay? Because it's Columbus who uh, uncovers the Bahamas, Haiti, Jamaica, Cuba, Puerto Rico, Honduras, Panama, all, all of that. And you're gonna have, you're gonna have Spanish slave plantations in all those areas, okay? So this is going to cause the slave trade to explode. And then you have these various European nations fighting each other for these new territories that are being uncovered, okay? Because they're trying to rebuild their lands. They were coming out of the dark ages. They had lost between one quarter to one third of their population. Uh, the Black Death hit the bubonic plague in 1347 to 1400 in spurts. They lose somewhere between 25 million to 75 million uh, Europeans. And they're trying to they're trying to rebuild Europe, okay. And one of the things Columbus was looking for on his four voyages was another source of sugar, because the Moors had introduced sugar into Europe, and uh, a lot of the Europeans had gotten hooked on sugar. So when you study like Jamaica and Haiti, Puerto Rico, things like this, Cuba, um. They're going to have very large sugarcane plantations there, and even to this day in uh, Cuba, sugar is like one of the top three exports out of Cuba to this day. That goes back to the history of of Columbus and the, and the conquering by the Spanish and the plantations that were set up there. Okay, so all this history, uh, you have to understand this history chronologically. 1620, the Mayflower didn't just pop up out of history. That comes, that's the culmination of a sequence of historical events. So you have to understand how all these historical events tie in together, okay? So how's everybody doing here? Share this broadcast on your Facebook page. I'm Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. Be sure to visit our website, africanhistorynetwork.com, africanhistorynetwork.com, because we have uh, online courses there on demand where I get in depth into this type of information. We have uh, our DVD lectures, and also you can um, um, advertise with the African History Network, African-American business owners. Hey, post the name of your uh, business here on the thread of the broadcast, and email us at customerservice at africanhistorynetwork.com, customerservice at africanhistorynetwork.com. We'll let you know how to advertise with the African History Network uh, on the audio podcast of our radio show also customer service at africanhistorynetwork.com. And uh, you can donate to the African History Network if you like this type of information and you want to support us. paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. Okay. All right. So let's continue here. All right. So throughout the uh, br brutal first summer, I mean, uh, uh, winter, uh, they stayed on the uh, Mayflower ship. All right. And there had to be a treaty that was signed with the Native Americans there in that territory for them to come off the ship as well. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get to that. OK, so in March of 1621, the remaining settlers, because half of them died on the ship during the winter, moved ashore where they received an astonishing visit from an Abenaki uh, Native American or Indian who greeted them in English. Several days later, he returned with another Native American named Squanto, uh, a member of the Pawtucket uh, or Pawtuxet tribe, 
who had been kidnapped by an English sea captain and sold into slavery before escaping to London and returning to his homeland on an exploratory expedition. Now, Squanto taught the pilgrims who were weakened by malnutrition and illness, these settlers, he taught them how to cultivate corn, how to extract sap from maple trees, how to catch fish in the rivers, and uh, avoid poisonous plants as well, okay? He also helped the settlers forge an alliance with the Wampanoag, the Wampanoag. Now, the Wampanoag Native Americans were a local tribe uh, which would endure, uh, they were a local tribe there, and the alliance would endure for more than 50 years and tragically remains one of the sole examples of harmony between European colonists and Native Americans, because there was not a whole lot of harmony. And then when you actually read their writings of the these settlers that were on the, the Mayflower, they, 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 they spoke very negatively about the Native Americans. They talked about them, you know, being savages and heathens and things like this. So they spoke very negatively about them. Now, in November of 1621, after the Pilgrims' first corn harvest proved successful, Governor William Bradford organized a celebratory feast and invited a group of the fledgling colony's Native American allies, including the Wampanoag chief uh, Massasoit, I think that's how you pronounce his name, M-A-S-S-A-S-O-T, Massasoit. Now remembered, now this is now remembered as uh, America's first Thanksgiving, okay? And when you see the famous, you see the famous picture, you know, depicting it, things like this, this is what they, this is what they show, all right? And uh, we'll flip over here and let you see this. And this is, uh, when you hear stories about this, if it's not Charlie Brown or Charlie Brown Thanksgiving, this is what they're showing, right? They're showing you the, they're showing you the, the, uh, the, the settlers, the, the, the European settlers there with the Native Americans and everything's peaceful, okay? So this picture right here, this depiction is where we get the image of the first Thanksgiving uh, celebration from, okay? Dealing with in, in 1621, this is where this comes from. This is the power of image. This is the power of media, okay? All right, so let's continue here. All right, how's everybody doing? Okay, so, uh, while no record, okay, now this, this image is remembered as America's first Thanksgiving. Now, although the pilgrims themselves may not have used the term of Thanksgiving at the time, the festival lasted three days, okay? While no record exists of the historic banquet's exact menu, the pilgrim chronicler, uh, Edward Winslow, not Eddie Winslow, <laughs> Family matters, uh, but but Edward Winslow <laughs> wrote in his journal that Governor William Bradford sent four men on a fouling mission, F O W L I N G, a fouling mission, okay, in preparation for the event, and that the Wampanoag guests arrived bearing five deer, okay, D E E D E E R, five deer. Now historians have suggested that many of the dishes were likely prepared using traditional Native American spices and cooking methods. 
uh, because the uh, pilgrims had no oven and the Mayflower's sugar supply had dwindled by the fall of 1621, the meal did not feature pies, cakes, or other, or other desserts, which have become a hallmark of contemporary celebrations, okay? Now, the uh, Thanksgiving becomes, an, it, it, how does Thanksgiving become an official holiday? So pilgrims held their second Thanksgiving celebration in 1623 to, to mark the end of a long drought that had threatened the year's harvest and prompted Governor William Bradford to call for a religious feast, okay? So, so keep in mind, at this, at this point, right, you already have Jamestown, Virginia. This is not the first settlement. Just keep that in mind. This, this, this gets a lot of attention, but Jamestown, Virginia, 1607 already exists, okay? So days of fasting and thanksgiving of an annual or occasional basis became common practice in other New England set up settlements as well. But this is a but this is a practice that they were practicing. Some of them were practicing in England also. It did not just start in New England. So during the American Revolutionary War, 1775 to um, 1783, the Continental Congress designated one or more days of Thanksgiving a year. All right. Um, and in 1789, George Washington issued the first Thanksgiving proclamation by the national government of the United States, all right? But this was not an annual Thanksgiving. Uh, now, in this proclamation, George Washington called upon American, uh, Americans to express their gratitude for the happy conclusion to the country's war of independence, okay? And the successful ratification of the U.S. Constitution because um, the Constitution is signed in September 17, 1787, and uh, it's ratified in about 1789. And 1789 is when the first Congress meets, actually March 4th of 1789 is when the first U.S. Congress meets, okay? All right, so um, now his successor, John Adams, okay, who was the second president, and John Madison, his successors, John Adams and John Madison, also designated days of thanks during their presidencies, okay? But at this time, it's not a um, national annual celebration, all right? Okay, so in 1817, New York became the first of several states to officially adopt uh, an annual Thanksgiving holiday. Uh, each celebrated it on a different day. However, and the Americans, uh, however, and the American South remained largely unfamiliar with the tradition. Now, in 1827, the noted magazine editor and prolific writer Sarah Josepha Hale, J O S E P H A, who I talked about, H A L E, um, she was an author, and among countless other things, she was the author of the nursery rhyme "Mary Had a Little Lamb." She launched a campaign to establish Thanksgiving as a national holiday. So for 36 years, for 36 years, she, she, had, she went on this campaign to have a national annual day of thanks, okay? For 36 years, she published numerous editorials and sent scores of letters to governors, senators, presidents, and other politicians. 
Abraham Lincoln finally heeded her request in 1863 at the height of the Civil War in a proclamation entreating in, in, in uh, all Americans to ask God to, quote, commend to his tender care all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers in the, in the lamentable civil strife, end quote, and to, quote, heal the wounds of the nation, end quote. This is during the Civil War, which tore America apart. And uh, you have about 620,000 people who lost their lives in the, in the Civil War, all right? So now Lincoln scheduled Thanksgiving for the final Thursday in November, and it was celebrated on that day every year until 1939. Now, in 1939, President Franklin Del Delano Roosevelt moved the holiday up one week in an attempt to spur retail sales during the Great Depression. Okay, so uh, it, it, so he moved it up to be celebrated on the fourth Thursday of um, each, uh, basically the fourth Thursday of each month. Now, Roosevelt's plan, known derisively as Frank's Giving, was met with passionate opposition, and in 1941. The president reluctantly signed a bill making Thanksgiving the fourth Thursday uh, in November. All right. Okay, so you can read the rest of this here. Um, and there are parades that take place. The Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade was one of the first ones, if not the first, and this one of the largest. Uh, so you can you can read the rest of this here. Okay, there's a lot more. I just don't have time to get, get into it. All right. So that's some of the traditional background information on Thanksgiving, and it helps to dispel some myths, all right? Now, there was a, um, there was a good article from uh, today, uh, November 22nd, from the New York Times, entitled, Everything You Learn About Thanksgiving is Wrong. You're listening to the podcast of Thanksgiving is a National Day of Mourning for African Americans and Native Americans, a.k.a. Misgiving Day. Hope you are learning a lot and enjoying this podcast. We'll be back in a few minutes. Ready to start getting healthy? Well, I'm here to let you know that all natural honey is a great way to start. At Crazy Boy Honey, we offer all natural honey for the lowest prices. Our honey has no additives or preservatives. Go to crazyboyhoney.com. That's crazyboyhoney.com and see what we have to offer. And remember, shipping is free.
Brother Michael Bullock is a multi-talented researcher, investigative reporter, educator, and public speaker with over 20 years of experience lecturing on African history worldwide. Brother Bullock, a.k.a. The Black Knight, is the founder and CEO of Black Knight Productions, a nonprofit organization dedicated to the research and teachings, if I may be so bold, of the greatest story never told, African history. Brother Bullock teaches in all areas of human interaction, those major ones being economics, entertainment, education, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war. So for more information, if your organization would like to have the total experience of knowledge, wisdom, and understanding of what this brother brings to the table, then reach out to the Black Knight, and he will certainly reach back to you. So contact him directly at mbull 357 at gmail.com. That's mbull 357 at gmail.com. Hotel, brothers and sisters. Hey, this is Alex, the app nerd. I create low-cost, high-quality mobile apps for people like you. Do you want to take your business to the next level by reaching more customers and potential clients? How about making ordering products and scheduling services easier? Does your church or organization want to improve youth participation? Perhaps you want to create a mobile game or dating app and make money off of paid ads. Well, what are you waiting for? Let me help you. Go to my site, appinmyhead.com. Request a free quote today. That's appinmyhead.com. What would you do if someone took your real life story and stole it from you, made millions off of it, and got away with it? That is exactly what happened to Shatona Tillman Sr., the real John Q. Being one of the most innovative and prolific writers of his time, his new book, The Nose of Men, The Yes of God, based on a true story, gives chilling testimony of his personal battle for justice against big names like Time Warner and New Line Cinema. In his unapologetic new book, The Nose of Men, The Yes of God, you'll hear about the judges and corrupt lawyers as Shatona Tillman Sr. warns us about the life and the pitfalls in the movie industry. You'll be at the edge of your seat as this book reveals the brutal truth about the theft of the feature film John Q, how Time Warner and New Line Cinema stole his movie and how he's fighting to get it back. Pick up your very own copy today, The Nose of Men, The Yes of God, based on a true story by Shatonda Tillman Sr. You won't regret it at www.therealjohnq.com. Are you looking to regain your health and vitality? Then visit naturallifeenergy.com. That's naturallifeenergy.com. It is an alkaline, plant-based diet website based on Dr. Sebi's methodology and nutritional guide, which supports the healthy expression of the African black gene, but it benefits everyone. Combat the ill effects of white supremacy that has brainwashed black people into eating foods that support the development of diabetes, high blood pressure, and cancer. Gain a better understanding of how to use a plant-based diet based on Dr. Sebi's nutritional guide to help heal your body and mind by reading Achillanese book, Alkaline Plant-Based Diet. 
Learn how to use herbs used in Dr. Sebi's methodology to help address complex diseases like lupus and IBS in his herbal book, Alkaline Herbal Medicine. Alkaline Herbal Medicine. Purchase Achillanese books from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other book retailers. Get your copies today. I know you all watched the movie Black Panther and saw Wakanda and wanted to buy a one-way ticket straight to that magical place. Well, why not? The International Black Book is a cyber Wakanda, a black wonderland. It is well overdue for the black diaspora to come together and build a global community where we can choose to buy black, travel black, and eat black. Place your complimentary listing of your business or agency. You are welcome at internationalblackbook.com, internationalblackbook.com. Sign up today. Welcome back. This is Michael M. Hotep, host of the African History Network show, and you're listening to the podcast I did on Thanksgiving Day, November 22nd, 2018, dealing with Thanksgiving as a national day of mourning for African Americans and Native Americans, a.k.a. Misgiving Day. Everything you learned about Thanksgiving is wrong, okay? And one of, the, one of the things that's important to understand when we talk about the Native Americans, right, and we talk about Africans being brought to this land, I didn't get a chance to talk about it, is that African people were already here before Native Americans came into existence. African people were already in this land that we call the United States of America before Native Americans came into existence, all right? so. Now, this goes outside the circumference of some people's awareness, and this goes outside of what's usually taught in African-American history classes um, and in African studies classes, et cetera. And, you know, and that's part of the problem. I've taken African studies classes. I've uh, been a guest lecturer at the uh, Department of Africology at uh, Eastern Michigan University in Ypsilanti. Michigan, and uh, I deal with some of this information when I teach. So people, uh, you want to get this book or the book coming out after this. This is the first Americans where Africans documented evidence by Dr. David M. Hotel, who's a friend of mine. I've interviewed him a number of times. The first Americans where Africans documented evidence by Dr. David M. Hotel. All right. So he's, his new book is coming out uh, by January 2019. And it's called The First Americans Were Africans uh, Revisited. The First Americans Were Africans Revisited. And this deals with the African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years ago, as well as, as well as in South America going back at least 56,000 years ago. Okay, And he deals with the Khoisan, who come from Southern Africa. They have the oldest DNA on the planet. They're uh, also, they're the ancestors to the Ainu and the Twa. They go all around the world. They come to this land. These are the early pyramid mound builders or the mound builders. There were pyramid mounds built up and down the Mississippi River. There were mounds, uh, these pyramid mounds all throughout this contiguous United States. And um, about 3000 BC, you have Asians who come to this land and the Africans and Asians intermix in their offspring or who we call Native Americans. These were a darker skinned people. These were not the 
light-skinned, almost white-looking Native Americans, some of them that you see today. These were darker-skinned people. The other thing that's going to happen is that when European settlers come, um, some of the um, African groups that were already here, um, some of them get classified as Native Americans as well. That's another problem, okay? So if you don't understand this history, then you don't understand um, what happened to some of those populations. Some die, some are killed in battles, things like this. But some of them get renamed just as Native Americans. So in this book, he talks about Jamestown, Virginia in 1607. And he talks about Captain John Smith. And when you study Captain John Smith, Captain John Smith talks about being captured by a group of black Indians. Uh, page 65 in this book, uh, John Smith and Black Indian. 1607, the Englishman Captain John Smith built the first permanent Caucasian or European settlement in North America in Jamestown, Virginia. While building the settlement, Captain John Smith made contact with the Powhatan tribe, P-O-W-H-A-T-A-N. The Powhatans were a part of the Algonquin speakers who were the largest group of Indians in Virginia as late as the time Captain John Smith arrived. Well, the, the Algonquins are another group of, of Africans who are called Native Americans. There were more than 10,000 Algonquin in Virginia alone before the colonists arrived. Now, um, quote, Europeans called the Delaware Indians redskins because of their reddish natural complexion and the vermilion makeup they were fond of and decorated their bodies, end quote. Therefore, they were unfortunately called redskins and sometimes called red devils by the European settlers, also referring to their skin tone. Now, 1607, uh, Captain John Smith described the chief of the Powhatans writing, quote, Powhatan, more like a devil than a man, with some 200 more as black as himself. Some 200 more as black as himself, end quote. When Captain John Smith described the chief indirectly saying his braids were as black as he was, it is logical to assume that he too was black. When Captain John Smith described the Powhatans as devils and, and black, he was referring to skin tone. Now, Dr. Clyde Winters, who writes the introduction to this book, if I remember correctly, agrees saying, quote, early Americans would certainly be able to tell the difference between paint and complexion, end quote. In any case, whether the Powhatans were black at that late date, or not does not change the fact that the first Americans were Africans. These first Americans remained black complexion until 3000 BC when the first Asians entered and began to mix blood with the proto-American Africans. Okay, so you gotta, see so when you get this book, then you get deep into the missing pages of history and you deal with, you deal with history going back thousands of years ago and you deal with the African presence here going back thousands of years ago, okay? Now, we also have, I'll get back to this in just a minute. How's everybody doing? Letitia, 
She said, how do you distinguish Africans from indigenous natives? Indigenous, indigenous native what? Okay. Dr. David Imhotep, yeah, he wrote, he wrote this book, The First Americans Were Africans. Um, now we have a eight DVD bundle pack at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com called The Africans Who Were Here Before Columbus. The Africans Who Were Here Before Columbus. And uh, it just, we just introduced it in October because October, you know, you have Columbus Day in October. So it includes a double lecture that Dr. David M. Hotep and I did together. And he's dealing with the first Americans were Africans. Uh, it deals with the uh, lecture from Dr. Ivan Van Sertema dealing with they came before Columbus because he wrote the book, that groundbreaking book in 1976, they came before Columbus. Uh, it has a double lecture for me dealing with uh, the history of Christopher Columbus as well as um, the origins of Halloween. A lecture from Dr. John Henry Clark dealing with uh, Christopher Columbus and the African Holocaust and some others. Okay, so that's it. AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. That's an eight DVD bundle pack. Uh, it's called The Africans Who uh, Were Here Before Columbus. All right, and that's on sale, uh, I think $80. Name of the book is The First Americans Were Africans Documented Evidence. The First Americans Were Africans Documented Evidence by Dr. David M. Hotel. Um, that book is out of print. His new book. Now you may be able to find it at an African American book dealer, something like that, because that Amazon is about three or four hundred dollars. All right. His new book comes out uh, by January 2019, and his new book is "The First Americans Were Africans Revisited." The first Americans. So it has about 200 additional pages. Okay. Uh, so if you can find if you can find this book you know, for like $30, something like that, go ahead and get it because it's out of print. And I don't, I don't even take this copy out of the, uh, out of the, out of the uh, office because um, everybody tells me, you know, they can't find it. Or when they go on Amazon, it's three or $400, all right? Okay, so let's continue here. All right, so New York Times had a good article. Um, New York Times had an article from uh, November 21st. Uh, well, actually, they republished it today. It originally came out November 21st, 2017. Everything you learned about Thanksgiving is wrong. Everything you learned about Thanksgiving is wrong, okay? And they talk about how a lot of this has to do with the, with the textbooks in schools. And they didn't say African-American schools. They said schools, period, okay? Um, and it's written by uh, Maya Salam. And she says, blame school textbooks with details often so abridged, softened, or out of context that they are ultimately made false. Children's books that, sim that simplify the uh, story, okay? Children's books that simplify the story and uh, to its most uh, pleasant version or animated television specials like The Mouse on the Mayflower, the cartoon, The Mouse on the Mayflower, which first aired in 1968, that not only misinformed a generation, but also enforced a slew of cringeworthy stereotypes. So high school textbooks are particularly bad about stating, um, particularly bad about stating absolutes because these materials teach history by giving students facts to memorize, 
even when the details may be unclear, says uh, James W. Lowen, Dr. James W. Lowen, a sociologist and author of the book, Lies My Teacher Told Me, Everything Your American History Textbook Got Wrong. Lies My Teacher Told Me, Everything Your American History Textbook Got Wrong, okay? And this is his book. This is the latest edition, because this is the, um, this is when this come up. This is the 2007 edition. It originally came out in 1995. This is the updated 2007 edition of Dr. James Lowen, all right? And he was on, I, I've seen him a couple times on News One Now with Roland Martin. Roland interviewed him on TV One. Um, and some really good interviews. One interview was dealing with the history of the Confederate monuments and what should happen to the Confederate monuments, things like that. He said that all the Confederate monuments should be taken down, put in museums. They should be preserved, put in museums, and looked at as his relics. And then in their place should be a historical marker to explain what was there, the history of the monument, things like this, and why it was taken down. Okay. Because when you go and look in like Germany, they don't have statues to Adolf Hitler and they don't have statues honoring Nazis in, in Germany. They don't have uh, buildings named after Nazis or anything like that, okay? Um, and when you deal with the Confederate monuments, even though that is part of our history, those monuments, those things belong in museums, but those are honoring traitors to the union who took up arms against the union and usually nations don't honor their traitors they don't honor people like that all right so he said uh dr uh, uh james lowen said uh, that mindset pervades everything they talk about and certainly thanksgiving that mindset pervades everything they talk about and certainly uh thanksgiving okay and let me see if i can pull up this article here also all right so the timeline is relative, and this is what I'm talking about. It's important to understand uh, the sequence of historical events. And as Professor Kaba Kamene, one of my teachers, talks about, um, formerly known as Booker T. Coleman, you see him in the Hidden Colors documentaries and Black Friday documentaries we're in together and Elementary Genocide 3 from director Raheem Shabazz when the Black Friday documentaries from uh, director uh, Rick Mathis about how to understand the existence of something, you must first understand the pre-existence of existence. To understand the existence of something, you must first understand the pre-existence of existence, okay? And uh, I'm trying to bring up this article here. I have about 100 tabs open in uh, Firefox, so just bear with me. I'm gonna bring up this article. Okay, so this is a good one from New York Times from today. Um, Mama Asata said, and this would be why all the pushback for reparations, so-called African-Americans, some of us were prisoners of war and not brought as slaves. Well, the pushback from uh, reparations is because a lot of the people who are fighting for reparations don't really understand the history and they're not making a legal argument, they're making an emotional argument. They're not making a legal argument for reparations. Um, the, uh, the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866 is a legal argument because many of our uh, 
ancestors were in those treaties getting some type of compensation from the federal government. And these were treaties that the U.S. government had with the Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians who all owned uh, African slaves. And Civil War ends, um, they were forced to turn their slaves, make their, uh, to free their slaves. And uh, these treaties uh, gave the, the Native American tribes, uh, these the, what are called the five civilized tribes of Native Americans, it gave them land, it gave them uh, financing from the government, gave them benefits, things like this. And the, the enslaved Africans who were enslaved by these Native Americans, they were set free, they were given land, they were given compensation, they were made full members of the tribes and their descendants also. But also the freedmen in those territories that they were in got benefits as well. Now, we got pushed out of that treaty basically in 1941 when the U.S. government conspired with the five civilized tribes of Native Americans to redefine what a Native American is. And they stated that you had to have one quarter or one quantum Native American blood, but the previous treaties did not state that, okay? Recently, the, uh, in 2011, the black freedmen of the Cherokee, of uh, the Cherokee Nation sued uh, because they were kicked out of the Cherokee Nation and stripped of their voting rights and things like this. And they sued um, to uh, get full membership back to the Cherokee Nation and they won the lawsuit, okay? And that's something I need to investigate because, see, I have um, Cherokee and Blackfoot in my family on my mother's side. All right. So um, that's a legal argument. The Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866, because those treaties are still in the books and they're still being enforced by the Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek, Cherokee and Seminole Indians. They're still getting um, benefits from the government and they get free casino licenses, free um radio station licenses, TV station licenses, they need to get free taxes, things like this, okay? But just saying that, uh, well, we were enslaved for 246 years and you owe us $14 trillion, that's not gonna work and it hasn't worked. The reason why it hasn't worked is because it's not a legal argument. It was free, it, it, was, it was legal to enslave you and you weren't supposed to get paid. So you can't come back 153 years later and say we wanna get paid when it was, when it was legal to enslave you and and it was and you weren't supposed to pay. It's wrong, but it was legal. So we we keep trying to make a we 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 try to go to a legal court to make a moral argument. That doesn't work. It it, it doesn't work. Now but now a legal argument is January first, eighteen oh eight. The law that was passed that passed the Congress in March March second of eighteen oh seven that outlawed the international slave trade, which meant that uh, January 1st, 1808, and went into effect and it outlawed the importation uh, or, or bringing in African people as slaves. That was outlawed. That international slave trade was outlawed by the U.S. Congress. But they continued to do it. So now you have a legal argument from 1808 on to 1860, 61. Now you have a legal argument because the U.S. is breaking their own laws. You have a legal argument for the importation. It was still legal to enslave them in the country. 
it was illegal based upon the based upon the, the federal government's own laws to bring them into the country. So the Clotilda, in uh, which was the last slave ship to come in, came in uh, to Alabama. The Clotilda about 1860, 18, by 1860. The Clotilda that was totally illegal. All right. So now that's a legal argument. Okay, for the importation, it was still legal to enslave them and not pay them wages. So even though it was morally wrong, you can't come 153 plus years later and say, well, we want to be paid. Well, it was legal to enslave. It was it was legal not to pay. you. Okay, but the Black Freeman Indian treaties, that's our best chance to get any type of compensation. Because those are laws still on the books now. And ancestors and we have our ancestors many of them were in those treaties getting benefits. But this is why you have to understand history. A lot of people who are fighting for reparations don't understand this history. They mean well, but they really don't understand this history and they're not attacking it from a legal perspective. They're attacking it from a moral perspective. This is why they haven't accomplished anything. All right. Google search 400 year head start by Tim Wise to fully understand systemic handouts. Oh, I'm familiar with all, I'm familiar with all of that. You can read, uh, you can read uh, how white folks got so rich, the untold story of American white supremacy and get that. I'm familiar with Tim Wise. Tim Wise has some good information. This is the second edition. I have a third edition in my backpack. How white folks got so rich, the untold story of American white supremacy. So when we come, when we talk about reparations, we need to approach it from a legal perspective as opposed to a, an emotional perspective. All right. All right. So high school textbooks are particularly bad about uh, stating absolutes because these materials teach history by giving students facts to memorize, even when the details may be unclear, says James Lowen, a sociologist and the author of lies my teacher told me everything your American history textbook got wrong. Everything your American history textbook got wrong, okay? Um, all right, so that mindset pervades everything they talk about and certainly Thanksgiving, he said. So a time, the timeline is relative. So the Mayflower did bring pilgrims to North America from Plymouth, England in 1620, as we talked about. And they disembarked at what is now Plymouth, Massachusetts, where they set up a colony, okay? In 1621, they celebrated a successful harvest with a three-day gathering that was attended by members of the Wampanoag tribe, as we talked about. It's from this that we derive Thanksgiving as we know it. But it wasn't until the 1830s that this event was called the first Thanksgiving by New Englanders who looked back and thought it resembled their version of the holiday, said Kate Sheehan, uh, a spokeswoman for Plymouth Plantation, a living history museum in Plymouth. So what she's saying is that the subsequent years, the, uh, the late in the 1600s, things like this, they didn't, they didn't see the 1621 feast, right? as the idea of Thanksgiving. But going into the 1830s, looking back, reading the stories, they look back and they, and they look at this, they look at 1621 as the 
first Thanksgiving and the idea type Thanksgiving, okay? So we have to understand, and then we see in 1836, Sarah Josephus Hale, who had been reading the writings of the, of the pilgrims, of those settlers there in Plymouth, who letter writing campaign to have a national day of thanks, but it's what the whole mindset, mindset is shaped by her perception of that first Thanksgiving, okay? So the holiday wasn't until 1863 when uh, President Abraham Lincoln declared it a, a kind of thank you for the Civil War victories in Vicksburg, Mississippi, and Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Beyond that, claiming that it was the first Thanksgiving isn't quite right either, as both Native American and European societies have been holding festivals to celebrate successful harvest for centuries. Uh, James Lowen said, but also in the article from um, history.com that I talked about, the history of Thanksgiving, they talk about that as well. That's what I was saying. Even in England, they had um, a celebration of thanks and prayers and fasting, things like this. Okay, that already existed. Now, a prevalent opposing viewpoint is that the first Thanksgiving uh, stemmed from the massacre of the uh, Peacock. Uh, people in 1637, I think it's pronounced Peacock, P-E-Q-U-O-T, the Peacock uh, people in 1637, Native American tribe, which was a culmination of the Peacock War. Uh, while it is true that a day of Thanksgiving was noted in the Massachusetts Bay and the Plymouth colonies afterward, it is not accurate to say it was the basis for our modern Thanksgiving, said uh, Kate Sheehan, okay? Now, in, the, in this article, they actually show you um, Plymouth Rock, which is a huge rock. Plymouth Rock and Pilgrim Memorial State Park in Plymouth, Massachusetts. The rock known as the landing place of the pilgrims was not mentioned in the pilgrims' original writings. Instead, it is part of the region's oral history. Okay. So, and uh, uh, Plymouth, uh, James Lowen noted, was already a village with clear with clear fields and spring when the pilgrims found it. He said a lovely place to a lovely place to settle. Why was it available? Because every single native person who had been living there was a corpse, end quote. Because plagues had wiped them out. Diseases had wiped them out. Okay, so it was already a uh, nice place to live. However, diseases had already wiped them out. And when they come, when more settlers come, they bring more diseases with them also, unfortunately. All right. So this is, uh, this is, this, see, this, this history is why Thanksgiving is a national day of mourning for African-Americans and Native Americans, okay? Because of what came with the European settlers. Now, I'm not trying to attack anybody. I'm not trying to attack anybody who are of different races or ethnicities. I'm just dealing with the history, okay? Um, and, I, and once again, like I said before, you know, I understand 
uh, families getting together for Thanksgiving, people are off work, you know, some of the family members who you see this year may, may not be alive next year, okay? You know, I'm all for getting together with family on Thanksgiving and I know people are going to eat things like this. Now, I don't know why you're watching football because uh, Colin Kaepernick doesn't have a job yet, so I, I'm, not, I'm not sure why people are watching football. And uh, I really don't understand why people are watching the Detroit Lions. You must want to waste time and have your heart broken as sorry as the Lions are, but that's a whole other story, okay? Now, it was not just about religious freedom. It was not just about religious freedom. We just posted the link here for the online courses that I teach. We have them in the bundle pack, a 10-course bundle pack. It's on sale $60, regularly $130. They're all on demand. It includes ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach them in school, which is a 14-hour, seven-session online course that I teach. Uh, we have PowerPoint presentations, video clips, things like this, book references, articles, et cetera. And uh, it's all on demand, watch all around the world, okay? Uh, and it also includes great African women in history, the mothers of civilization. It includes a uh, class I did dealing with the film Black Panther and some other things also. That's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And we posted the link here also, okay? So I know people have a... Uh, people have some time off for the next few days. That will keep you busy and keep you learning. All right. So it wasn't just about religious freedom. Now, it's been taught that the pilgrims came because they were seeking religious freedom, but that's not entirely true, uh, James Lowen uh, said. The pilgrims had religious freedom in Holland, okay, when they first arrived in the early 17th century. Like those who settled in Jamestown, Virginia, in 1607, the pilgrims came to North America to make money, okay, uh, James Lawrence said. He said, quote, they were also, um, he said they were also coming here in order to establish a religious theocracy, which they did. That's not exactly the same as coming here for religious freedom. It's kind of coming here against religious freedom, okay, because they wanted to set up a religious uh, theocracy. All right, now also, uh, pilgrims never called themselves pilgrims. They were separatists, okay, as James Lowen said. The term pilgrims didn't surface until around 1880. Now, the term, when you study the etymology of the term pilgrim, and you can go to merriamwebster.com, Miriam, you can go to their online um, dictionary and search for pilgrim. The, the word pilgrim goes back to the 13th century. However, what I think he's saying is that at this time, they did not refer to themselves as pilgrims. That's going to come, that term referring to those settlers is going to come later. But the, but the word pilgrim existed in the English language because I went, and looked, at the, I went and, and looked at the history of it. It goes back to the 13th century, it goes back to Middle English. Uh, so the word existed, but it wasn't in reference to them back at this time, it appears. Now, there's no evidence that the Native American people were invited to the feast, okay? And even in the article I'm going to get to next from uh, Indian Country, um, Indian Country Today Media Network.com, which is a Native American news source, when they talk about the, the first Thanksgiving, 
from the Native American historical perspective, right? They dealt, they talk about this as well. Now, um, so possibly, uh, possibly the most common misconception is that the pilgrims extended an invitation to the Native Americans for helping them reap the harvest, okay? Now, the truth of how they all ended up feasting together is unknown. Quote, the English written record does not mention an invitation and Wampanoag oral tradition does not seem to reach back to this event, end quote, said uh, Kate uh, uh, Sheehan. But there are reasons the Wampanoag leader could have been there, she said, adding, quote, his people had been planting on the other side of the brook from the colony. Another possibility is that after his harvest was gathered, he was making diplomatic calls, end quote, okay? So even though the feast took place, it's not exactly clear how the Native Americans ended up at the feast. There's, there's no clear evidence of an invitation from the European settlers to the Native Americans to uh, come feast with us. So the deadly conflicts, okay, so it is true that the celebration was an exceptional cross-cultural moment with food, games, and prayer. Now, the deadly conf conflicts that came afterwards, however, created an undercurrent that is glossed over. James Lawn went on to say, uh, still, quote, we might as well take charge of fairness and idealism and so on whenever we find them in our past and recognize that and give credit to them, end quote, he said. Now, the role of Squanto is complicated, okay? It's like a Facebook uh, relationship status, right? It's complicated, okay? And uh, we'll go to some of your comments here in just a second here. Do Native Americans celebrate Thanksgiving? I don't know too many that do. I don't, I know, I don't know. And um, their Associated Press had, an, had a story today. ABC News uh, picked it up, uh, Yahoo News. We posted it here on our Facebook fan page dealing with, um, uh, dealing with Thanksgiving being a national day of mourning. And they talk about um, this uh, ceremony that takes place. And we'll pull it up here. They deal with this ceremony that takes place each year, and it's been going on for something like 46 years, which is a national day of mourning for Native Americans, okay? Harvey asked this question. Detroit is your city. Yeah, I live in Detroit. We're losing it to gentrification. But yeah, I live in Detroit. And those in Detroit, I'll be at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History on Friday, November 23rd, Black Friday. 2018, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. for the Black Friday Marketplace. The Black Friday Marketplace. We'll have a vendor table there for the African History Network. We'll have our DVDs there, like the, the Mail Trek DVDs that teach our children their history using conscious hip hop and animation. Uh, we also have these on our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, and the Mail Trek uh, storybooks as well. You can order these. And we have these in a bundle pack also at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. This deals with exploring ancient Africa exploring ancient Africa for our children. Uh, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m., free event open to the public. Come on out, 
circulate dollars with African-American-owned businesses, and visit AfricanHistoryNetwork.com for more information. Okay, they defeated the Panthers. No, uh, well, well, the Lions lost today. They lost to the Chicago Bears. Matthew Stafford was intercepted twice. Uh, I still don't know why they still have him, to tell you the truth. Uh, I don't know why they haven't traded Matthew Stafford. They need to go get Colin Kaepernick. The Detroit Lions need to go get Colin Kaepernick. Toya Austin, how you doing? Hey, uh, Isha. Uh, but you do so you do so finally stand up with other knowledgeable people, but take the lead and and get is justice. Thank you. I'm not sure what you're talking about. Maybe you're talking about reparations. Okay. Mama Asta said, Oh, and thank you, sir, for the explanation of reparations. I just have so many questions and have a hard time putting the historical events together. Okay. Understand that. I've been studying 26 years, so I, you know, I know how it is. Okay, so Yahoo News had this article today. We posted it on our fan page. It's, it's written by the Associated Press, picked up by different news outlets. Native Americans mark Thanksgiving with day of mourning. Native Americans mark Thanksgiving with day of mourning. Thanksgiving is not uh, Thanksgiving is nothing to celebrate for Native Americans who are gathering in the town where the pilgrims settled for a solemn national day of mourning observance. A national day of mourning observance. Thursday, Thursday's noon gathering in downtown Plymouth, Massachusetts, will we call the disease, racism, and oppression that the European settlers brought? It's the 49th year, 49 years, okay? It's the 49th year that the United American Indians of New England have organized the event on Thanksgiving Day. Moonanum Jones, M-O-O-N-A-N-U-M, Moonanum Jones, a co-leader of the group, says, quote, Native people have no reason to celebrate the arrival of the pilgrims, end quote. Native people have no reason to celebrate the arrival of the pilgrims. Participants will beat drums, offer prayers, and make public speeches. They'll also express their solidarity with refugees from Latin America who are being denied entry to the U.S. and condemn pipeline projects and fracking that they say needlessly and recklessly degrade the environment. Okay, so check that out. Uh, we have it posted on our fan page, the African History Networks. Also, uh, different news outlets pick this up. It's from the Associated Press. Then, with this, they have a little video in here uh, also you can check out as well. This is from Yahoo News, uh, yahoo.com, yahoonews.com. But it's one of the most important things for African Americans to understand is that the original Americans were African people. This was our land stolen from us. Because see, yes, the transatlantic slave trade happened, but that comes tens of thousands of years later. If, if, if we understand that this was our land stolen from us, and you had 2.3 billion acres of land stolen from African people and Native Americans, then it would totally shift our paradigm because one of the one of the 
problems with the low self-esteem and us being taught to see reality through the eyes of Europeans is because we've been stripped of, stripped of our history and culture, which gives us our values, our interests, and our principles. It gives us our values, our interests, and our principles. And it influences how it gives us the cultural paradigm that we see the world through. Well, when you think that you find the land conquered by Europeans, shackled in chains, okay, and you were, you were treated as subhuman, when you think that that's how you first came to this land, then you think of yourself as being guests in this land subconsciously. And if you, if you think that, it, so what we don't understand is that this was our land stolen from us. Not only were we here before Europeans, we were here before Native Americans. This is not an attack on Native Americans. But I'm dealing with the history. So this would have a significant paradigm shift for African-Americans, who many of us suffer from an inferiority complex, our understanding and misunderstanding of the transatlantic slave trade. And many of us tacitly subconsciously seeing Europeans as being superior because we were conquered and shackled and chained by them. But we don't understand, no, we, we don't understand what was here before Europeans got here and that we were here. This is why this book is so important. The first Americans were Africans documented evidence. And if you go to our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, you can listen to the interviews I've done with Dr. David M. Hotel. Just click on listen to podcasts, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have almost 900 audio podcasts. Listen to the podcast I've done with one of my teachers, Professor Kaba Kamene formerly known as Booker T. Coleman. He's in the Hidden Colors documentaries. Um, and also, when, when, you, when you order the, um, the bundle pack, the Africans who were here before Columbus, that eight DVD bundle pack, you get the double lecture I did with Professor Kaba Kamene uh, dealing with um, the uh, Africans in the Mississippi Valley and the, uh, the, the ancient uh, uh, Africans in ancient America, things like this, because I do, um, I do a presentation and he deals with that topic, Africans in ancient America and the Mississippi Valley and Mexico, that deals with all of that history, okay? That's in that bundle pack. You can order it separately, but it's in that eight DVD bundle pack, um, the Africans that were here before Columbus. And that, I'm telling you right now, that's a seven hour lecture here and I did. It's on four DVDs. So that's ended up, we did that at Nandy's Knowledge Cafe uh, in Highland Park, Michigan. It ended up being seven hours because we got, we got and, and most of it is young, but we got into some deep stuff, okay? You know, I'm dealing with the lost city of Egypt called Thomas Heraklion, and I'm showing you footage of of the uh, of the archaeological crew uh, underwater, showing you the archaeological discoveries that they found. Uh, Thomas Heraklion was a was a city in Kemet in Egypt that was swallowed into the sea about 1,200 years ago. About uh, yeah, about I think we say about 1,200 years ago, or 1,200 BC. About 1200 BC, I think they said it was swallowed into the sea. Okay, and um, there was a archaeological team led by Frank Gadio who revealed the discoveries in 2013. 
okay? And there was a documentary made about the discoveries also. Uh, but I, I dealt with that in that lecture, okay? All right, now Harvey Scott said three-fifths, yeah. Okay, now Article One, Section 2, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution, known as the Three-Fifths Compromise, did not say that Black people or slaves were three-fifths of a human being. That's a misinterpretation. So you want to go to loc.gov, which is the Library of Congress website, or archives.gov in the U.S. Constitution. It talks, it says, for the purpose of taxation or apportionment, that they would count the full, they would count uh, the full population of people and of the uh, people in bondage, they would count three-fifths of, of, of those persons. That's not saying they were three-fifths of a human being. What that's dealing with is talking about apportionment. Apportionment deals with how do you determine how many seats in the U.S. House of Representatives a particular state will have, okay? That's determined by population. Well, how do you determine the population of enslaved Africans? Because the South wanted the full population counted. The North is saying, well, hey, if you count the full population of enslaved Africans, then um, this will give the South dominance in the U.S. House of Representatives. You'll just be able to push through whatever um, laws you want in the U.S. House of Representatives. Okay, so they're going back and forth trying to figure out how to count the enslaved population. Do we count half of the population in the state? Do we count three quarters of the population in the state? So finally, they, they, so finally they, they came to a compromise, which, which, which was not much of a compromise. But they decided to count three-fifths three -fifths of the slave population in the state. So hypothetically, if, say, the state of Virginia had 100,000 enslaved Africans. They would count 60,000 toward the population count of the state of Virginia, and that determines how many seats in the House of Representatives they would have. Okay, that's what that was about. That's a total misunderstanding. And I love Malcolm. You see the picture of Malcolm behind me, but the uh, University of California, Berkeley, 1963, when Malcolm was being interviewed, um, and he said that uh, the U.S. Constitution said we were three-fifths of a human being. That's a total misunderstanding. That's not historically accurate. That's a total misunderstanding of the U.S. Constitution. The Root.com has a good article uh, by, by Dr. Paul Finkelman, I think it is. Or Dr. Uh, it's called uh, The Three-Fifths Compromise, Why Its Taint Persists. The Three-Fifths Compromise, Why Its Taint Persists, which goes deep into the history of the Three-Fifths Compromise, Article 1, Section 2, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution, and explains why uh, it does not say we were three-fifths of a human being. But even if it did, hypothetically, even if it did, um, that was corrected by Section 2 of the 14th Amendment of 1868. So that was, that, so that was corrected 150 years ago. Even, even if it did say that, the, the, the way that the count was taken, okay, to count the full population, of people, and you know, the 14th Amendment gave birthright citizenship to those former enslaved Africans. This is what, you know, and um, Trump is, was talking about doing an executive order to change birthright citizenship because they want to take away birthright citizenship from people coming to this country, uh, saying that if, if, if someone is an undocumented immigrant, but their children are born here, they want to change the birthright citizenship 
uh, so the children don't are not U.S. citizens. Okay, because twenty six states out of fifty white people have a declining have a negative birth rate in this country. This is what this is all about. Some white people are scared to death of becoming a numerical minority in this, country. and Trump is and, and Trump is thinking like them, and ginning up their fears, and they're trying to put measures in place to protect their majority status. This all deals with preserving genetic white survival. This is what this is about. Now, all white people don't subscribe to that mentality, but many do, okay? Many do. All right, so let's continue here. Uh, okay, so that's the Africans that were here before Columbus, the eDVD bundle pack at our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. All right, so the role of Squanto is complicated. So his, his, his name was uh, Tisquantum, T-I-S-Q-U-A-N-T-U-M, Tisquantum, I guess is how you pronounce it. But he's better known as Squanto. He did play a large role in helping the, what we call the pilgrims, okay? And uh, as American children are taught, okay? His people, the Pawtuxet, a band of the Wampanoag tribe, had lived on the site where the pilgrims settled. Now, when they arrived, he became a translator for them in diplomacy and then uh, in, in diplomacy and trade with other native people and showed them the most effective method uh, for planting corn and the best, uh, the most effective method for planting corn and the best locations to fish, okay? Now that's usually where the lesson ends, but that's just a fraction of his story, okay? Now, as I said before, he was captured by the English. He was captured in 1614 uh, by the English and later sold into slavery in Spain, okay? He spent several years in England where he learned English and he returned to New England in 1619 only to find his entire Pawtuxet tribe dead from smallpox, dead from smallpox. Now, isn't it interesting that you had uh, right-wing pundits on Fox News trying to gin up fears and scare people about the Central American caravan? Now, number one, they don't want to tell you that the conditions that a lot of these people are fleeing from in Honduras, and uh, Guatemala and things like this, they're, they're because of U.S. policies in those countries for the last 50 years that, that have created the conditions that they're fleeing from, that have helped to create the violence that they're fleeing from. Okay, see, Trump doesn't want to, Trump doesn't want to talk about that at all. And there was a good article from, um, I think it was from Vice.com that uh, talked about this. Uh, the violent Central American migrants are fleeing was stoked by the U.S. The violent Central American migrants are fleeing was stoked by the U.S. We're still dealing with the aftermath of atrocities committed by U.S. allies in Central America during the Cold War. Okay, see, this is something Trump doesn't want to talk about. And Yahoo News had an article as well dealing with how uh, it said. Um, it was talking about how these people, most of them are seeking political asylum. International political asylum is not illegal. 
That's based upon international law that the U.S. was involved in, in creating. Okay, international political asylum, those are not undocumented immigrants. That, that, that is a legal status based upon international law that the U.S. was involved in creating. Trump is trying to change all that, but Trump doesn't want to say these people are fleeing from conditions that the U.S. was largely involved in creating in these various countries based upon their policy in Central America for the past 50 years, sometimes going back further beyond that. But Trump doesn't want to talk about any of this stuff. Okay, so Squanto returned to New England in 1619 only to find his Pawtuxet tribe dead from smallpox. Okay, and you had um, commentators on Fox News, pundits on Fox News, not all of them, but some of these crazy ones, saying that these uh, people from Central America are bringing smallpox with them. They have absolutely no evidence of that. So Squanto met the pilgrims in March of 1621. Okay, now uh, there's no evidence that Turkey was served at this uh, Thanksgiving there in, in 1621. There, there was no mention of Turkey being at the 1621 bounty, and there was no pie, as we said, uh, most likely because they were low. Uh, the, their sugar reserves had been depleted. Settlers lacked butter and wheat for flour for uh, for a crust, and they had no oven for baking. What is known is that the pilgrims harvested crops, and that the Wampanoag brought five deer. Okay, it, they were called uh, Vincent. Uh, Vincent, I think that's what they were called. Quote: There are primary source writings about uh, there are primary source writings about wild wild turkey being abundant in the area that fall, yet they do not specifically mention if they were at the first Thanksgiving," said Tom Begley, executive assistant at Plymouth Plantation. Now, experts agree, though, that, um, let's see, experts agree, though, that there was certainly some wild fowl, goose, duck, or turkey served along with the vin uh, uh, venison, the V-E-N-I-F. He said, um, as those are the only food items explicitly mentioned. However, there is no direct evidence proving that turkey was in fact served, end quote. Okay, so now the menu may have also included cornmeal, pumpkin, succotash, and cranberries. There was no sweet potatoes in North America at that time. Contrary to popular depictions, there were, uh, there were about 90 Native people in attendance, almost double the number of pilgrims by some accounts, okay? So check out the article from New York Times. It came out, uh, we originally came out November 21st, 2017, and we published it today. Everything you learn about Thanksgiving is wrong. Everything you learn about Thanksgiving is wrong, okay? And then um, we have the article from um, Indian Country Today Media Network.com. India, Indian Country Today Media Network.com. Now, this is a very, very important article. The reason why is, is because this tells the story of that quote unquote first Thanksgiving from the Wampanoag Native American perspective. Okay. And it's called What Really Happened at the First Thanksgiving 
the Wampanoag side of the tale. What really happened at the first Thanksgiving, the Wampanoag side of the tale. And once again, you know, they show, they show that famous uh, painting, okay? And it's, it, the painting is done by uh, John uh, Leon Jerome Ferris. John Leon Jerome Ferris, okay? Uh, and this is a popular image of the first Thanksgiving. This was a painting done by uh, this artist. Okay, and this is a um, larger uh, view of it. Let's see if we can show this to you. This is a larger view of it. Okay. This is running slowly here, but we'll, we'll continue. Okay, so, yeah, okay, it's coming up. Hold on just a second here. So you can see uh, a wider angle of it. And from the accounts, there were twice, there were about 90 Native Americans there, about twice as, uh, about twice as many Native Americans as uh, European settlers, okay? All right, so let's continue. I'm not sure why this isn't coming up. All right, so obviously sharing the first Thanksgiving meal in 1621, the Indians referred to so uh, generically are the ancestors of the contemporary members of the Wampanoag Nation. As the who sailed from England on the Mayflower and landed in Plymouth, Massachusetts, here. So Plymouth Governor William Bradford organized a feast to celebrate the harvest and invited a group of uh, Native allies, okay? And let me see something here. This is reasonable. Can you all hear me? Let me see. Just a second here. Can you all still hear me? Just a second here. It's just freezing up on me. Stand by. Okay. All right. So they go through like the basic history that we've been taught. All right. And um, so Plymouth Governor William Bradford organized uh, a feast to celebrate the harvest, etc. Okay. So we know what we're taught in mainstream media and in schools is made up. What's the Wampanoag version of what happened? What's the Wampanoag version of what happened? So uh, they say, yeah, it's made up. It was Abraham Lincoln who used the theme of pilgrims and Indians eating happily together. He was trying to calm things down um, during the uh, Civil War. He was trying to calm things down during the Civil War. So it was a political thing, uh, they asked. And this article was written by uh, Gail Curry, okay? Um, this article is written by Gail Curry, and she is uh, interviewing Ramona Peters, Ramona Peters of the Moshpee Wampanoag tribes 
tribal historic preservation officer. That's who she is. She's interviewing Ramona Peters, okay? Let's see if I can close this out. All right. So what really happened? Okay, what really happened? All right, so they, uh, in the colony, they elected an official while they were still on the boat. When we look at the, uh, when we look at the Mayflower, okay, they, let's see here. Just a second, this is uh, freezing up on me. Okay, so they elected, uh, those on the Mayflower elected official while they were still on the boat. They had their charter, okay. Uh, they were still uh, they were still under the jurisdiction of the King of England. At least that's uh, what they told us. So they couldn't make a treaty for a boatload of people. So they made a treaty between two nations, England and the Wampanoag Nation. OK, what did the treaty say? It basically said that we would let uh, we would let them be there and we would protect them against any enemies and they would protect us from any of ours, okay? They would, uh, it basically basically said we would let them be there and, and they would protect them from any of ours. So I think it's now finally, uh, trying to share this, but I need to stop this because this is running slowly here. Okay, you can see it in the article. You're listening to the podcast of Thanksgiving is a National Day of Mourning for African-Americans and Native Americans, a.k.a. Misgiving Day. Hope you are learning a lot and enjoying this podcast. We'll be back in a few minutes. Reading is imperative, family. Remember, it was illegal for our ancestors to read and gain knowledge of self. Still to this day, we lack a knowledge of self, especially this younger generation. DTR 360 Books has the books for you to develop and add to your knowledge in this world we live in. DTR 360 Books is one of the fastest growing online bookstores and it provides books dealing with finance, history, business, children's books, and more. Their motto is applied knowledge is true power. As the Bible states, faith without works is dead. So their thing is applying the knowledge that which you receive from these books. Visit their website today, DTR360books.com, DTR360books.com, and you can find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Mel Trek is an animated series that teaches our children about their greatness. Episode one deals with exploring ancient Africa, where they go back in time and visit various African civilizations and the contributions that they gave to the world. Episode two deals with exploring pre-Columbian Americas and the children journey back in time to learn about several aboriginal cultures, defining structures and nations who arrived in the Americas before Christopher Columbus. This is a great teaching tool for homeschooling and the classroom, and they teach our children that their history did not start in slavery. We have the videos as well as 
the coloring book and storybook available at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We have a Mail Trek bundle pack on sale right now for $79.99, and it includes all three episodes of Afro Man and the Protectors of the Book of Knowledge. Get this great gift and teaching tool for your children today at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And Anime Productions presents Meltrek, Episode 1, Exploring Ancient Africa. Witness the most accurate historical account of African and African-American people. A story that has never been told like this before. Join Bunchy, Chen, Percy, Michelle, and Jesse as they open their third eyes and are sent back in time by their magical teacher, Miss Lawford. They begin their adventure in ancient Africa and the Nile Valley. There, they meet a young Egyptian boy named Ramesses. Using hip-hop, funky beats, and rhymes, Ramesses teaches the children about the great kingdoms of Africa. They explore the Nile Valley. The Nile Valley was a place of people known as the Perska, land of the gold that they sold nonstop. Mali and Songhai. Mali and Songhai must have had some serious armies. The Congo. The Congo region is beautiful. Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe is where we land. Witness the mental and spiritual transformation of the characters. Not only will they transform, but you will also, as you travel with Meltrek. Let's resurrect the spirit of our ancestors inside all of us, and recall that we all come from greatness, so we can be great. We're going to do a different time zone, where our ancestors always sat down the throne, yeah. And I'm talking about you and me, a people think she considered greatest and royalty. So rise up, sons and daughters of a KB land, it's time to claim our riches and take back our land. So come and take this journey, and when you come back, tell your friends and family all about the mail track. Mail track, 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 mail track. Are you struggling with your finances or just need a second opinion? My name is Martisha Patterson and I am here to help. Whether you have questions about credit, retirement, taxes, investments, or meeting day-to-day -day responsibilities, you deserve access to a qualified, caring, and resourceful financial professional. As a certified financial planner with over 19 years in the wealth management industry, I have a passion for helping people gain confidence and become successful with money. Taking control of your finances creates options instead of obstacles confidence instead of uncertainty. Make no mistake, this is an important step for all of us. Will you allow your situation to control you or will you take control and make your money behave? My name is Martisha Patterson. Call or email me today to schedule an appointment. My phone number is 646-552-4384. Again, 646-552-4384 or email me at pattersonplan17 at gmail.com. All right, how's everybody doing? Hotep. Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. And we are back for part two. Had some technical difficulties, uh, broadcasting part one at the end. Uh, and this is part two, dealing with uh, Thanksgiving is a uh, national day of mourning for African Americans and Native Americans, okay? AKA Misgiving Day. All right, so how's everybody doing? Um, we're continuing here with uh, part two of the broadcast. All right, hope you can hear me uh, all right also, okay? 
All right, share this broadcast on your Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in uh, as well. Okay, so at the end of part one, I was dealing with uh, an article from Indian Country uh, Today MediaNetwork.com, Indian Country Today MediaNetwork.com. And uh, this article deals with what really happened at the first Thanksgiving. What really happened at the first Thanksgiving, okay? And uh, we're going to share this here on our uh, Facebook page once again, okay? And uh, everybody share this broadcast and go back and watch part one also, okay? Because this information is going to blow you away. Hope everybody's doing well, all right? Okay, so we dealt with uh, some of the myths about uh, Thanksgiving and the history of Thanksgiving, especially the first Thanksgiving, where people perceive as the first Thanksgiving uh, in 1621. All right, so for this article, they interview Ramona Peters, Ramona Peters, okay? And Ramona Peters is, um, is Native American, and she is, um, uh, she is with the Moshpee Wapanal tribes, and she is the tribal uh, she is the uh, tribal historic preservation officer. Um, and the Wapanal tribe is the Native American nation, Native American tribe that um, was there in that area in Plymouth, Massachusetts, where the Mayflower landed. Okay, and uh, Squanto who was the Native American who taught them how to fish and plant corn and things like this. He was a member of the Pawtuxet tribe, um, but the Pawtuxet were a smaller group, a smaller nation of the Wapanaw, okay? And uh, it's going to be the Wapanaw that they make this, uh, that they make a treaty with also, all right? Okay, so, so the question was asked to, um, Ramona Peters. Um, we know what we're taught in mainstream media and in schools is made up. What's the Wapanoag version of what happened? Okay. And Ramona responded. She said, yes, it was made up. It was Abraham Lincoln who used the theme of pilgrims and Indians eating happily together. He was trying to calm things down during the Civil War uh, when people were divided. It was like a nice unity story. So it was a political thing. Uh, Ramona responded, yes, it was public relations is kind of genius in a way to get people to sit down and eat dinner together. Uh, families were divided during the Civil War. So keep in mind that the first national annual celebration of uh, National Day of Thanks, what we call Thanksgiving, took place in 1863 to be a national annual celebration. And this is during the Civil War. This was uh, in the proclamation from Abraham Lincoln, okay? So the question is asked, what really happened? What really happened in 1621, okay? All right, what really happened? All right, and how you doing, Brenda and Koya? How's everybody doing, okay? And uh, those in the Detroit area wanna remind you that Friday, uh, November 23rd, Black Friday, I'll be at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. for the Black Friday Marketplace, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. 
for the Black Friday marketplace. It's free and open to the public. We'll, there will be a number of African-American-owned vendors there. You can recycle your dollars with African-American-owned businesses. Visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com for more information, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, okay? <clears throat> All right, so what really happened? So Ramona Peters uh, said that we made a treaty. We made a treaty. The leader of our nation at the time uh, was Yellowfeather uh, Osmequin, Yellowfeather Osmequin, better known as Massasoit. And the Wampanoag made a treaty with John Carver, the first governor of the colony, okay? Um, the elected, they elected an official while they were still on the boat. So the, keep in mind, as I said before, the settlers there on the Mayflower, and only some of them were pilgrims, only about 35 out of the 102 passengers were pilgrims. Um, they stayed on the Mayflower ship during the winter, okay? And they come out, come off the ship during the spring. Uh, they elected an official while they were still on the boat. They had their charter, which was the Mayflower Compact, signed November 11, 1620, the Mayflower Compact. They were still under the jurisdiction of the King of England, who was King James Stuart I. At least that's what they told us. So they couldn't make a treaty for a boatload of people. So they made a treaty between two nations, England and the Wampanoag Nation. England and the Wampanoag Nation, okay? So what did the treaty say, all right? So the treaty basically said that we, the Wampanoag, would let them be there and we would protect them against any enemies and they would protect us from any of our enemies. Now, the 2011 Native American $1 coin com commemorates the 1620 uh, treaty between the Wampanoag tribe and the pilgrims of the Plymouth colony, okay? And keep in mind, the Mayflower, they're leaving from Plymouth, England in uh, 1620. And where they land in Massachusetts, they call that uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts, all right? Now, it was basically an I'll watch your back, you watch mine agreement. Now, later on, we collaborated, we the Wapanaw collaborated on jurisdictions and creating a system so that we could live together. So what's, what's the Moshpee version of the 1621 meal, okay? The, what we look at is the first Thanksgiving. Now, you've probably heard the story of how Squanto assisted, assisted their planting of corn. So this was, their, this was their first successful harvest, and they were celebrating the harvest and planning a day of their own Thanksgiving. They were planning a day of their own Thanksgiving. And it's kind of like what uh, some of the Arab nations do when they celebrate by shooting guns in the air. So this is what was going on there at Plymouth, Plymouth, Massachusetts. They were shooting guns and cannons as a celebration, which alerted us to Wapanog, uh, because we didn't know they were shooting, uh, we didn't know what they were shooting at. So Massasoit, okay, gathered up some 90 warriors and showed up at Plymouth prepared to engage. 
if the, if if that was what was happening, if they were uh, taking any of our people, okay? Because keep in mind, they had they signed this treaty with the settlers who were on the Mayflower, and the treaty was between England and the Wapanoag Nation. To I watch your back, you watch ours. So the Wapanoag hear these gunshots. They don't know what's going on. So about 90 of them show up, okay, to defend the settlers. And when you go and you look at the article that I referenced earlier from the New York Times that came out on Thanksgiving Day, everything you learned about Thanksgiving is wrong. Everything you learn about Thanksgiving is wrong. They talk about how there were, uh, contrary to popular depictions, there were about 90 native people in attendance in 1621 at that what we perceive as the first thanksgiving and that was almost double the number of pilgrims by some accounts okay so then you look at what ramona peters is explaining what happened from the native american perspective from the wampanoag perspective and she talked about massasoit gathered up some 90 warriors and they showed up at Plymouth prepared to engage okay so they didn't know um they didn't know what was going on so it was a fact-finding mission now when they arrived it was explained through a translator that they were sell that the that the settlers were celebrating the harvest so we decided to stay and make sure that was true because uh we would we had seen in the other landings like captain john smith okay jamestown virginia 1607 even the vikings had been here so we wanted to make sure so we decided to camp nearby for a few days so this answers the question of why the native americans were there because why they showed up to the feast because when you um Look at the previous articles that I cited, like the one from the New York Times. It was um, from the perspective of, of that history. It was unclear why the Native Americans were there at the feast, because there was no, uh, a, a, as the one from the New York Times stated, there's no evidence that the Native people were invited in the first place. So how did they end up there? See, so so. The, the myth that's been told in the Charlie Brown uh, cartoons and the myth that's been told that we were taught in school, that's a myth. That's not historically accurate, okay? So this is why it's important to understand the Native American side of the story, to fill in these blanks, all right? And Max said, uh, I only celebrate Kwanzaa, the history of the other holidays isn't very positive or productive. And people, once again, get the book, African People and European Holidays of Mental Genocide by Dr. Ishaka Musa Barashango, which deals with the history of all of these holidays. And this is book two. Book one looks like this, except it has a yellow cover, okay? And I've studied the history of all the holidays as well, I don't celebrate any of them. Now, now, I'm, now I'm, I'm, once again, like I said, this is not an attack on anybody, and we should get together with our family on Thanksgiving. Okay, because most people are off work and, 
you know, some of those family members may not be there next year and it's, it's you know, have dinner and things like this. And they're things to be thankful for. But this concept of Thanksgiving from a European perspective is contrived. It's contrived. It's a false concept. Okay, so let's continue here. So uh, Captain John Smith, even the Vikings had been here. So we wanted to make sure. So we decided to camp nearby for a few days. Now, during these few days, the men went out to hunt and gather uh, food uh, like deer, ducks, geese, and fish. Uh, there are 90 men here. And at the time, I think uh, there are only 23 survivors on the boat because half of the crew, I mean, sorry, half of the passengers on the Mayflower died over the wintertime, okay? You have 102 passengers and 26 crewmen, only about 35 of the passengers were what we call pilgrims or the Puritanists or the purists. Okay, so uh, they, the colonists were, um, okay, so let's see, there, there are 90 men here. And at the time, I think there were only 23 survivors of the, of the boat, of uh, the Mayflower. So you can imagine the fear. You have armed natives who are camping nearby. Uh, they, the colonists, were always vulnerable to the new land, new creatures, even the trees. There were no such trees in England at that time. So people forget uh, they had just landed here and the coastline looked very different from what it looks like now. And their culture, new foods, uh, they were afraid to eat a lot of things. So they were very vulnerable and we did protect them, not just support them, we protected them. This is because of the treaty they signed with the Wampanoag tribe. Now you can see throughout their journals that they were always nervous and unfortunately when they were nervous they were very aggressive. So the pilgrims didn't invite the Wampanoags to sit down and eat turkey and drink some beer, the question was asked. Okay, Ramona laughed, Ramona Peters laughed and said, uh, no. Well, let's put it this way. People did eat together, but not in the way that is portrayed at, at the first Thanksgiving. It was our homeland and our territory, and we walked all through their villages all the time. The differences in how they behaved, how they ate, how they prepared things was a lot of, was a lot for both, okay? Was a lot for both cultures to work with each other. But in those days, it was sort of like today when you go out on a boat in the open sea and you see another boat and everyone is waving and very, and very friendly. It's because they're vulnerable and need to rely on each other if something happens. In those days, the English really needed to rely on us. And yes, they were polite as best they could be, but they regarded us as savages nonetheless. And in their journals, they wrote about this. They wrote about calling the natives savages and heathens and things like this. So you did eat together sometimes, but not at the legendary Thanksgiving meal. The response is no, we were, there for, we were there for days. And this is another thing. We give thanks more than once a year in formal ceremony for different, uh, for diff for different seasons. 
for the green corn, uh, for the green corn Thanksgiving, for the arrival of certain fish species, whales, the first snow, our new year in May. There are so many ceremonies, and I think most cultures have similar traditions. Now, it's important to understand, and Dr. Shaka Musa Barashango talks about this in African people and European holidays and mental genocide, that in uh, traditionally in African societies, we spend about one third of the year in um, celebration of different types of uh, rituals, different types of ceremonies, different types of celebrations. We spend one third of the year in celebration. You see something similar to that in Native American cultures. And keep in mind, as I talked about previously, you have to read the book, The First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence by Dr. David M. Hotel, okay? Because the original Native Americans were African people. Okay, so we don't understand that history. So it's not, we can't just study the last 500 years of history. We have to study the last 50,000 years of history. We can't just study the last 500 years of history. We have to study the last 50,000 years of history, okay? All right. So let's continue here. And this new book comes out, um, it's coming out in January. It should be January uh, 2019, okay? Uh, his new book, The First Americans Were Africans Revisited. Okay, so how's everybody doing? Share this broadcast on your Facebook page. Also, if you like this type of information, you can donate to the African History Network, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show, okay? And African-American business owners, uh, post the name of your business here on the thread of the broadcast and email us at customer service at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, customer service at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com to find out how you can advertise on the audio podcast of our radio show and our broadcast. All right, so let's continue. Okay, so it's not a foreign concept, and I think human beings who recognize um, greater spirit than they would have to say thank you in some formal way, all right? Uh, so they're talking about the different types of ceremonies and rituals and celebrations they had in amongst the Wapanoag, okay? Um, they, they had ceremonies for the arrival of certain fish species, whales, the first snow, our new year in May, okay, which is during spring. Uh, there are so many ceremonies, and I think most cultures have similar traditions. Now, what are Mashpee Wapanoags taught about Thanksgiving now? So the Mashpee are a branch of the Wapanoag Nation. So uh, Ramona re responded, most of us are taught about the friendly Indians and the friendly pilgrims and people sitting down and eating together. They really don't go into any depth about uh, that time period and what was going on in 1620. This is when the Mayflower lands, okay? in uh, Plymouth, Massachusetts. Uh, it was a whole different mindset. There was always focus on food because people had to work hard to go out and forage for food, not the way it is now. I can remember being in Oklahoma, which is a Native American word also, amongst a lot of different tribal people when I was in junior college and Thanksgiving was coming around and I couldn't come home. It was too far and too expensive and people were talking about Thanksgiving and yeah, the Indians. 
And I said, yeah, uh, we're the Wapanogs. They, did, they, they didn't know. We're not even taught what kind of Indians or what kind of Native Americans. Hopefully in the future, at least for Americans, we do need to get a lot brighter about other people. So usually when this story is talked about, about the Native Americans and the pilgrims and all this stuff, right? They're not even uh, taught what type of Native Americans, what Native American tribe, what Native American nation did the people belong to. So this is a, this is a painting, this is a, the famous painting that helps to shape many of our minds of what the first Thanksgiving looked like. But this, we don't understand the background story of what this depicts. There was a feast, but how did it happen? The Native Americans weren't invited, okay? Contrary to what we were told in, in elementary school and in Thanksgiving Day pageants in school, and they have reenactments of Native Americans and, and pilgrims and all this stuff. Contrary to all that, that's not what happened, okay? So this is a famous painting done by uh, the artist John Leon Jerome Ferris, F-E-R-R-I-S, J-E-A-N, okay? This is a popular image of the first Thanksgiving, but this is definitely not what happened, okay? And this, once again, is an example of how media, how imagery shapes the way people think. Your thoughts create feelings, your feelings create actions and behaviors, your actions and behaviors create results. So this is uh, an example of the power of the media, once again, okay? All right. So let's continue here. Uh, so basically today, the Wampanoag celebrate Thanksgiving um, the way Americans celebrated or celebrated as Americans. The question is asked to uh, Ramona Peters. She responded, yes, but there's another element to this that needs to be noted as well. The Puritans believe in it, once again, remember, at this time, they were not referred to as pilgrims. They were going to be referred to as pilgrims retrospectively. They were looked at as purists or Puritans. The Puritans believed in Jehovah, and they were listening for Jehovah's directions on a daily basis and trying to figure out what would please their God. Okay? Now, keep in mind, and this is what a lot of Christians don't understand. The letter J was not invented or created until 1630 AD. So it, it was Yahweh. Okay. When you look at the, when you research the letter J, you find that the letter J did not exist until 1630 AD. The letter J is derived from the letter I. This may go outside the circumference of some people's awareness. This is why in the King James Version of the Bible, originally, Jesus was referred to as Iesus. I think it was Iesus, because this is what it was in ancient Rome, I-E-S-U-S, -S, Iesus. The letter J did not exist. Read the historical origin of Christianity, and I have the book around here somewhere, but Dr. Walter Williams, the historical origin of Christianity, but Dr. Walter Williams, in chapter 9, deals with the whole history of the letter J. Chapter nine of this book deals with the whole history of the letter J, okay? Letter J didn't exist. 
Now, this may, may go outside this comes to some people's awareness. When you look up the uh, word, the name Jesus, okay, that's the anglicized version coming from the Latin Jesus. But it goes back to Yeshua with a Y, Yeshua, all right? So the fact that African-Americans refer to him as Jesus is a holdover from slavery. That comes because we were taught English from the conquerors, from those who enslaved us. And these were 13 English colonies. This is where this comes from. And uh, our people still refer to him as Jesus today. This may go outside the comments to some people's awareness, which deals with us being taught to see reality through the eyes of Europeans. As I talked about before, this is why we have to take our minds back. They had two Stephen Biko, one of our great South African freedom fighters who died in 1977. He was portrayed in the movie Cry Freedom that came out in 1987 by Denzel Washington. Bantu Stephen Beagle said the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. The most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. So, so far, Americans, for the most part, uh, for the most part, there's a Christian element to Thanksgiving. So formal prayer and some families will go around the table and ask, what are you thankful for this year? In Moshpee families, we are making offerings of tobacco. Uh, for traditionalists, we give thanks to our first mother, our human mother, and to Mother Earth. Then because there's no real time, uh, th then because there's no real time to it, uh, you embrace your thanks in passing them into uh, into the tobacco without necessarily speaking out loud, okay? Because there's no real time, uh, no real time to it, you embrace your thanks in passing them into the tobacco without necessarily speaking out, out loud, but to actually give your mind a spirit together, thankful for so many things. Unfortunately, because we're trapped in this cash economy, and this nine to five schedule, we can't spend the normal amount of time on ceremonies, which would last four days for a proper Thanksgiving. So Ramona Peters has asked the question, do you regard Thanksgiving as a positive thing? Do you, re do you re regard Thanksgiving as a positive thing? She responded, as a concept, a heartfelt Thanksgiving is very important to me as a person. It's important that we give thanks. For me, it's a state of being. You want to live in a state of thanksgiving, meaning that you use the creativity that the creator gave you. You use your talents. You find out what those are and you cultivate them. And that gives thanks in action. And that gives thanks in action. So the last question she's asked is, and will your family do something Thanksgiving. She said, yes, we'll do the rounds, make sure we contact family members, eat with friends, and then we'll all celebrate on Saturday at the social and dance together uh, 
and 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 uh and dance together with the drum. We'll celebrate on Saturday at the social and dance together with the drum. Okay. All right, so you can check out this article. There's a lot of history here, which helps to fill in blanks and dispel, continue to dispel myths about what we've been taught was the first Thanksgiving in 1621. What really happened at the first Thanksgiving, the Wapanog side of the tale. Okay. All right. So um, share this broadcast on your Facebook page. Hope everybody's doing well. Be sure to uh, follow us here on Facebook at the African History Network, the African History Network on Facebook. Click on the notification uh, option, and I think there's a little bell there that lets you know when we're going live. And um, African-American business owners, hey, you can advertise with the African History Network. We have a special Black Friday promotion. Get 50% off your first month. The second month is free. Email us at customer service at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. We take your 30-second to 50-second, 30-second to 60-second commercial, and uh, we post the, we, we put your commercial into the audio podcast of our shows. We're on six different podcast platforms. We're on iTunes, CastBox, Blog Talk Radio, Acast, FM Player, TuneIn.com, and Acast. Those are six that I know of. Um, and we each episode reaches thousands of people across the country. Okay. You can also register for the uh, online courses that I teach. They're all on demand. I'm Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. They're all on demand. We have a special bundle pack. Um, it's a 10 course bundle pack. It's on sale $60, regularly $130. It includes ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. That's a 14-hour, seven-session online course that I teach. It's all on demand. We have, I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have video clips. You can watch from around the world. Um, the bundle pack also includes Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization, a uh, online class I did dealing with the film Black Panther, Black Panther Analysis, African Culture, History, and Afrofuturism. And also African-American resistance in the era of Donald Trump, voter suppression, reparations, and how elections have consequences, okay? Those are just a few of the uh, online courses there. So we posted the link here also that's at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, all right? And uh, for children, you know, we have the Meltrek bundle pack. We have the Meltrek uh, animated series for children, which teaches them our history, exploring ancient Africa, as well as exploring pre-Columbian America. And we have these in the bundle pack. You can order them individually on the bundle pack. Um, that includes the coloring book and the, uh, the story book and the coloring book as well. The 14, the 47 page full color story book that teaches them our history, okay? This is the Mail Trek series. And that's all available at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com africanhistorynetwork.com, okay? All right, so those in Detroit, be sure to come out uh, on Black Friday, November 23rd, 2018 for the third annual Black Friday Marketplace at the Charles H. Wright Museum of African American History, 9 a.m. to 7 p.m., 9 a.m. to 7 p.m. I'll be there all day. We'll have a vendor table. There'll be a number of African American vendors there so you can come recycle your dollars there. And then also, um, 
when I, you know, we talk about economic empowerment and we deal with the uh, pyramid principle, uh, the foundation is African history and culture, gives us our VIPs, our values, our interests, and our principles, and influences the two sides of the pyramid, our economic empowerment and our political empowerment, what I call political self-defense. Um, a, a good economic strategy that I talked about uh, a couple of days ago is there are approximately 70,000 African-American churches across the country. Um, we need to have every first Sunday of the month should be Economic Empowerment Sunday in these churches where we have vendors, African-American businesses who are vendors in the church and when the rooms is not being used in the basement, the cafeteria area, something like that, during church service, during church service, before and after church service. If half the churches did this, 35,000 churches, okay? If half the churches did this, um, this can recycle almost uh, about a billion dollars within those churches. If you have 10 African-American businesses on average, and they make uh, uh, $200 on average each first Sunday that generates somewhere around $800 million. If the church is charged on average $50 um, for each vendor, okay, that would generate on average about $210 million for the churches. The churches, this is on an annual basis, if the churches take half that $210 million, which is $105 million, and deposit in African-American-owned banks. This would create a, a, a lot of additional funds for African-American-owned banks to loan out to African-Americans to buy homes, buy real estate, expand businesses, and start businesses, okay? So we need to push for economic empowerment Mondays, I mean, economic empowerment Sundays, in our churches, economic empowerment Sundays in our churches. All right. Okay. So everybody visit our website, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, L. Lacun Ra said, wow, that's a great idea of business during church service, African-American-owned businesses, because they have church bazaars periodically they have church bazaars but do this the first sunday of the month the reason why the first sunday is because many african americans and many of our communities have more money the first of the month than they do the end of the month okay so have the have the economic empowerment sundays the first sunday of each month all right okay all right look we have to get out of here hey remember at the african history network we focus on educating empowering and inspiring people of african descent throughout the diaspora and around the world because right now it's corrects wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself, okay? Uh, remember, right now it's corrects wrong behavior. It's not over till we win. Wakanda forever. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. And be sure to email us, African American Business Owners, customer service at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. And if you want me to do a presentation for your group organization, because I do, I do lectures for and presentations for different groups, I travel and do that. Email me at info, I-N-F-O, at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Kwanzaa's coming up. Uh, Christmas, I have presentations filled with the history of Christmas. Kwanzaa, Dr. King for Dr. King Day. Uh, Malcolm X's birthday is coming up May 19th, African American History Month, 
info at africanhistorynetwork.com, I-N-F-O, info at africanhistorynetwork.com. Talk to y'all later. Peace.